You're listening to The Q's Podcast, Episode 90. Thank you for making The Q's Podcast part of your day. We use this forum to speak with credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts for a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. My name is Lisa Hograff, Senior Editor for Q's and our Credit Union Management Magazine. I'm pleased to be your host. The credit union industry's response to the coronavirus pandemic has been squarely focused on service and safety for their members, employees, and communities. Today, I have the great pleasure to talk with Tim Green, President and CEO of FNA Federal Credit Union in Los Angeles. When Tim first heard, back in January, the news about the spread of the COVID-19 overseas, he decided to lead his credit union to prepare for a scenario in which this disease would shut down the whole county where his credit union is located. He says he thought at that time that if the situation turned out to be less dire, his team would still benefit from the exercise. When the county did in fact close down, Tim and his team were more ready than most businesses. Having your antenna out to market signals and being open to responding to them is a hallmark of great leadership. And yet I think you'll find Tim most humble in this show. CEO for just about 13 months, he is grateful to his board for their support of this initiative. He's grateful to other financial institutions for the ideas he quote unquote stole from them and adapted to best suit his credit union. These include things like a special loan offering for members and additional pay for staff working in the branch. You'll get lots more details from listening to the show. Let's get started. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So pleased to have you with us today. So our listeners can get to know you a little bit. I wondered if you would tell us if you have a professional mantra, some idea or saying that you live by. Well, I not anything specific. Um, I have been accused of using cliches, so I'm sure there's about a half dozen I could rattle off. But in actuality, I really think it's more, I want to more than anything lead with my values, but I'm a risk manager by trade, so I feel like in addition to leading with your values, you have to measure potential outcomes of any set of events and really recognize, you know, can you live with the worst case scenario? But ultimately, it's it's sort of a two-pronged test, if you will. I, If something can get past the value test, then we want to look at what are a potential range of outcomes. But ultimately, I don't have a single thing I would go by. I mean, I'm sure if you ask my team, they might, you know, they might have a few things to share. But the reality is, I want to live by my values, and that is the most critical aspect of what I live by, is living by my values, and then trying to make prudent decisions. Once I know something operates within my values, can we make a prudent decision based on a range of outcomes. That's very interesting. I think that it will be interesting to see what you value and how that plays into what we're going to talk about, which is how your credit union has been responding to the pandemic. For just a little more background for our listeners, would you tell us about what you were doing before you became a credit union CEO? 
So I spent my career prior to this mainly as an accountant. So I spent about eight or nine years in public accounting, working for Grant Thornton and Moss Adams, doing audits and professional service stuff consulting. I worked at a large private mortgage company, and I worked at a bank. I used the four-letter word. And from there, I spent – I was a bank CFO, and then I spent about five years as the CFO of Keypoint Credit Union in Santa Clara prior to becoming the CEO of FNA. and And about when did you join FNA? I've only been there – it's about 13 months now. So I started in March of 2019. Yeah. And so now we're talking about a pandemic response, and that's a big deal to be doing as a 13-month CEO. No, it certainly is. Of course, you know, um, the first year of your CEO tenure is, is nothing if not interesting in normal times. But to say that, you know, we're encountering this set of challenges has been, you know, truly extraordinary. And, you know, I have a friend who's the CEO of a credit union in the Bay Area, and he said, well, it really takes about three years to get your footing. And I'm quite certain in 13 months, I've lived three years. So I, uh, I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in the job. That's for sure. Trial by fire. We always joke about drinking from the fire hose when you first start as CEO. Yes. You've gotten an extra big dose, I think. Yes, that is 100% true. So tell us a little bit about the key ideas behind your credit union's response to the pandemic. Well, you know, I would say, again, it's like everything we do, it, it starts first for us with operational readiness. Now, in January of this year, being new to the, the credit union, one of the advantages I had was you kind of move through the organization sequentially and you evaluate each parts of your operation to say what's effective and what isn't. And anyone who tells you they walk in on the first day and know what to do or know what's working and isn't are, are you know, are not telling you the truth because it's very difficult from outside an organization coming in and evaluating what's going on. So in my sort of travel through the last year, a lot of what we were doing was evaluating the systems, the people, the processes, the appetite of our membership. And one of the things that became apparent in my time was we were very effective at disaster recovery, have an extraordinarily good IT team, and were absolutely, had the absolute ability to flip the switch, move to the co-location set of servers, et cetera, very effectively. But what also became pretty apparent was our business continuity planning was not where we wanted it to be. So as we, as these things started to come out of China, and as we started to recognize that there was potential risk, I, for one, wanted to really focus in on how we would respond to this event. So in January, we started the process of evaluating how we would operate in the event of a countywide quarantine. And my team, I think at that point, really thought I was kind of crazy, frankly, because they really didn't, no one at that point was thinking that we were going to shut down entire counties and lock people in their homes. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't think that was going to happen either. But I felt that for us as an organization, it wouldn't hurt us to go through the exercise of preparing. And again, get back to that measure your potential set of outcomes. And when I thought about it, what is the potential outcome of failure? Well, that's catastrophic. But 
what's the downside of preparing for something that doesn't happen? Well, we've established a strong business continuity framework that can be utilized in other areas. So the first thing we did was we focused on operational readiness. And we really went through it in a very sequential way. We ordered a bunch of equipment. We got involved in making sure that it was not only the equipment wasn't only available, but the processes were tested. They were tested first in our training environment. Then we moved people remotely. So by the time we got to about the first week in March, we were really ready to handle this and, and operate 90% of the core credit union functions remotely. And that was the first step, was making sure we were operationally ready. And I don't want to say that the next steps were any less significant, but without operational readiness, none of the other things we had done were even possible. So once we had operational readiness, then the next step was to look at what I call the business rules around how we're going to respond to this. Well, the first thing we needed to do was think, okay, how are we going to take care of our members? So we immediately offered enhanced skip of pay. We offered a short-term assistance financing loan, $5,000, no interest, 28-month repayment period. And with that, we really were trying to say, okay, we're ready to now to, to operate our business. What are our members going to need? And define what the needs of the membership are going to be. With that, we communicated, of course, out to the membership. And then the third leg of the stool was our employees and our team. Now, we were able to move about 75% of our back office staff out of the building. And about 70% of our total staff were out of the building. But even within that, it quickly became apparent that this was not going to be a normal situation for our staff. So we, after we had created operational readiness, after we had developed programs to serve our members, we already had them, but, you know, remarketed them, got them out there for our membership, we needed to start taking care of our staff. So we then did things. The, one of the very first things we did was we gave everybody on the team below vice president a free week of PTO knowing full well that they could cash that out if necessary, or they could use that to support additional time off because immediately at that point, you know, schools were being closed. And like most workforces, we've got a lot of parents in our, in our midst, and this is a huge challenge for people. So we wanted to immediately alleviate the anxiety of our employees. So I, I believe it was on a Friday, we gave everybody a week of PTO. And immediately... You know, the goodwill started to flow back from our employees. Furthermore, as we made these offers to our membership, the membership really started to respond as well. And with that, people, our team felt a sense of purpose. But it wasn't enough to simply give people a week of PTO. The next thing we did for our employees was we closed our branch. We have a headquarters branch, and we closed that to walk-in traffic. Our other branch has a bandit barrier, which, again, I always thought it was pretty stupid as a bandit barrier, but highly effective as a pandemic barrier. So we were then able to protect our employees from the, the spread of the illness. And then lastly, we did offer a financial benefit to our employees who were continuing to work in the office. So within this process, what we've been able to do is, you know, because we were ready to serve operationally, we were then able to to really reach out and provide tangible benefit to our membership 
simultaneously demonstrating a commitment to our employees that has carried us through thus far. Um, we have been very lucky in how we've in, in how well things have gone operationally, and we've also done you know we've also seen extremely positive response from the membership. So all of this is sort of feeding the sense of mission that our team has to get up in the morning and come in. Now, you mentioned that you had a risk management background. I'm imagining that you're drawing some of what you've done from your experience with that, although we've never been through a pandemic like this before. Tell me a little bit more about what you drew on, where you got your ideas from, how you decided what to tackle as this was approaching. Well, again, the, the first thing was develop a scenario that is as onerous as you can imagine to prepare for. And ironically, the scenario we planned for was no one leaving their home, which is actually more severe than the scenario we're in because we are deemed essential business. And therefore, theoretically, we could operate in the office if we chose to. So the first thing we had to do was, again, plan for the worst and hope for the best. So with that, you know, coming from a background of risk management, I knew that we needed to first and foremost make sure that we had the appropriate operational procedures in place, controls, checkpoints, et cetera, because at the end of the day, we have to be effective in our ability to serve and our ability to to do the basic functions of a financial institution. So keep the systems up, online, mobile, you know, transfer money through the Fed, take member phone calls, fund consumer loans. All of those things had to be functional. So as a risk manager, I I really wanted to create a scenario that would test all of that. And once that had been developed, then we were able to really move into the service component of this. Because without operational readiness, there's no ability to serve. Agreed. Now, what would you say has been your credit union's biggest success in this response? Well, I would say the thing that we've done well, and again, I, you know, I hesitate to talk about well because this is such a horrific event that is having such, you know, cataclysmic impacts on people that in some ways there is no definition of success right now. However, there are things that have worked well for us. And I think the, the most important thing for us is that the membership recognized early that we were here to help them. So we, we crafted some, some materials that were sent out in the form of an email signed by me, essentially being very forthright in that we are here to help. And because we did it early, because we were sending those emails out in mid-March and prior to you know, the, the stimulus packages from, from the Fed or the government or anything of that nature, our members recognized that we were truly doing this to help. So we got tremendous engagement, engagement at levels we've never gotten before. We utilized all channels to communicate, social media, email, website, etc. And what's gone well for us is the members recognized that we were doing this not out of a requirement, but out of a desire to help. And what that has done is really allowed the organization to galvanize around this idea of service. And that has been the thing that has been, through this horrific situation, has been really rewarding, is seeing people recognize that they're not there to move paper, they're there to deliver service. 
and they're there to help people. I mean, one of the things that, that I struck me when I joined FNA was FNA is, is the credit union for Los Angeles County Fire Department, cities, municipal workers, as well as the Agriculture Commission. Now, FNA has been around since the 30s, and when you talk to long-term members, and one thing about firefighters is it's a multi-generational profession. And you talk to people, and they talk about how, you know, when they were a kid, if the car broke down, they knew they could go to FNA and get $400 to get the car fixed. And it struck me when I'd hear these stories that the credit union was more than a financial institution. It was really a partner for these people. And they felt like, you know, the credit union had a seat at the kitchen table. And to hear the way that they talked about that connection and that safety net that was created, it really, to me, felt that this was our opportunity in today's modern society to demonstrate that safety net and to be that safety net. And that's why it was easy for us to sort of charge into this because this is what we're here for. We are here to serve. And therefore, when this all happened, it was obvious what our response should be. I love that idea. I love the idea of the credit union has a seat at the kitchen table. It seems to me like today that might be a place on each member's phone. What do you think about that idea, Tim? Well, I think it is. I mean, but it's more than just where they sit in terms of their delivery channel. It's more from a sense of safety and community. And to me, that's what this is really about, right? And because we are a closed seg, because we serve a limited field of membership, we have the ability to do these things. And that's been something that has been extraordinarily important for us. And when I look at this, how are we serving this community and giving them this sense of security that frankly, was lost for most people when this thing kicked off, and it's still lost for people. I mean, that's been the hard thing for people is this is such an unsettling time. How are we going to navigate this? What are we going to look like when it's over? Well, nobody knows that answer. But at least at FNA, we have done everything in our power to be there to help the individual have just a little more sense of security through this time. It's a very inspiring scenario. I really like hearing about credit unions really living out that idea of people helping people. I think it sounds like your history helped you build it into today, and what you do today will take the credit union forward, too. Tell me, what is something that you've learned? So we talked about success, but what's something you might do differently when the next disaster strike and maybe it far away and much smaller than this one? Well, you know... I think what I would do, I don't know if I would do anything differently. What I would counsel anyone else is do what you think is right and you know, trust your instincts and trust your gut in the sense that there were so many difficult decisions as we went through this. I mean, ironically, we, you know, FNA has a big to do every year at their annual meeting and we had an annual meeting scheduled for the 18th of March. Now, somewhere around the 10th of March or so or at that point, we canceled it. That was a difficult decision because one of our one of our supervisory committee members works for the LA County Department of Public Health, and I emailed him and I said, "Well, should we do this?" And he was like, mm, I, "I think we're okay, 
right? Because the, the, the line at that point in early March was gatherings under 250 are, are okay. But we've had to make difficult decisions along the way. And the one thing I would say is don't be scared to make those decisions. Do what you think is right. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable for the results and how your organization performs through this. And the last thing you want to do is find yourself saying, well, I didn't feel right about having that event, but I did it because I didn't want to upset A, B, or C. And then next thing you know, there's a, a spike. In this case, somebody was sick who came in, and next thing you know, you know, there was a mini outbreak amongst the FNA membership. You, you have to really, you know, the things that I, I have taken from this experience is trust your instincts, live your values, and recognize that you are going to be asked to make difficult decisions. But if you don't want to make those decisions, then don't ask for the job. That goes right back to your mantra. Right. It goes right back to your mantra. Love that. (laughs) I love that. So what would you say are the next steps for FNA in responding to the pandemic? What are you going to do next week? Well, I think that for now it's about continuing on the path we're on, just being here to support our members, you know, continuing to support our teammates, be very, very sympathetic to the stress and the things that people are encountering, and just continuing to be helpful. You know, we are going to pursue, you know, we'll, we'll probably pursue the payment protection loan program, although we don't have any businesses really in our field of membership. But it's really about continuing on the path we're on and, and remaining vigilant through this process. I, I know that one of the hardest things about this is, you know, this is like, you know, as I've said, this is a slow moving car wreck and it is not the kind of event that most, you know, disaster readiness contemplates, which is a, a fixed moment in time, something happens and then thereafter things, you know, get back to some semblance of normalcy. This is not the case. So for us, it's about remaining vigilant staying nimble and being prepared to navigate where this thing goes, but also recognizing that there's so much uncertainty out there. We really don't know what to do. So it's just remaining vigilant. I like that. I think that translates well to other credit unions as well. Paying attention to what's going on, continuing to serve and being ready to shift when the time comes. Yeah. Because one of the hardest things I think about this situation is, Clearly, the actions that we're taking today are well-suited to our membership, our balance sheet, our capital position, but may not be well-suited to everybody else. And But that being said, they're not sustainable, right? I mean, you can't fill up a balance sheet with interest-free loans. Last time I checked, that, that is not a pathway to create sustained success. The former C- so, CFO is well aware, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. This isn't going to work forever. But that being said, recognizing that we are in a temporary situation and the willingness to step into it, but as we plan for the future, it's now going to be about how has this pandemic impacted you as an individual, as a family, as a business, and what's going to be necessary for us to meet those needs going forward. So one of the things I know that we're particularly concerned about is what is the future of this pandemic? And what does it mean? Because really, you know, there is two crises in our midst right now. There is clearly 
a crisis of public health, which we all know is, is you know, keenly at the forefront of all of our minds. But the second issue that we have, which again I think is equally significant, is the long-term economic impact. And that, at this point, is on, we're unaware of that. We don't know what that is. And anyone who tells you they know what's going to happen, I, you know, is obviously just making stuff up. So, for us, it's about trying to anticipate what the needs of the membership are going to be and how we as an organization are going to be able to respond to those needs as we move into the coming months because our role is going to shift. Now, it's almost like a triage situation. Get someone a little bit of cash, get them a couple months of forbearance on their loan, help them to create some breathing room in this short period of time. But it's not going to stay this way forever. And to say that life is just going to go back to normal is naive. So we just have to stand ready to adapt and assist our membership in any way we can as the situation progresses. We need to get ready for a new normal. Well, I, I, I hope it doesn't come to that because, you know, I, for one, am I'm looking forward to going to a baseball game or, you know, going to a concert and <laughs> things of that nature. So I, I sure hope that we, we get back to some semblance of normal life. But I do believe that there are people in our community, and specifically the most economically vulnerable, are, are going to be disenfranchised in certain ways from this. And there is a, a significant shuffling of the deck. And how we as a credit union find ways to help people through that is really going to be the ongoing legacy of, of this pandemic. So That's a great thought. Tim, I want to be respectful of your time. But before we close up, I, I want to offer you, what question did I not ask that you would like to answer? Well, I mean, you did ask me where I drew some of these ideas from. And, and I do want to make this abundantly clear that, you know, there's two things really that I'd like to close with. The first thing is that, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of the people who came before us. Everything that I've delineated that we've done are all things that I've stolen from other people, right? I, I you know, Keypoint had assistance financing when I worked there, and I watched, you know, Brad Campbell, the CEO there, you know, rally the team around, you know, a flood event in San Jose. Now, it's it seems trivial in, in relation to what we're doing today, but he demonstrated how you can quickly, nimbly develop loan programs, get them out to people in, in a time of need. Likewise, you know, in talking to people and other credit unions, you know, Schools First was paying a premium to their frontline employees, and quickly that became something that we wanted to adopt. So, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, we started catering lunches for for our team and. You know, I like to think we stole that from the Googles and the Apples of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And normally they do that so they can make you work 15 hours a day, but we did it because we didn't want people to have to go out and limit the points of contact. So everything that we've done is really, in my mind, a combination of the things that we've learned from others. And likewise, we're not special. We're just, you know, we were just positioned at this moment to make a difference and we're just one of many who are doing the same thing. I know that if you polled all the CEOs out there in California, I can tell you that they're all doing, if not more valuable things for their membership. And it's really important to me that, that we recognize that, you know, this isn't some, you know, I didn't come up with, you know, the ability to put a rocket on the moon. This is just simply a collection of the things I've seen in other places and other environments that I thought was really effective. 
you know, the other thing I do want to say is that, you know, this is such a unique moment in time, and I, for one, am just extraordinarily you know, grateful for my own health, grateful for the health of my family, but also, you know, deeply saddened by all the suffering that's going on out there. And, you know, I my only hope here is that this is a little helpful for people, that there's a few ideas people can can latch on to. But I certainly am not saying that, you know, we have all the ideas or, you know, we have succeeded in this pandemic. I, I don't believe those two words go together in a sentence. This is a true global health tragedy that is, you know, just deeply disturbing for all of us. And if anything I offer is of, of help to anyone, I'm, I'm glad to do that. But I think it's important to say that there is no success here because we're dealing with something that is so catastrophic for so many people it just you know it's just whatever little bit we can do to help is all we're trying to do thank you tim for that humanity and compassion <sighs> and thanks for sharing what you've done i do think other credit unions will listen to this and take away ideas and make them their own yeah well good well thank you for the opportunity to share and you know i, I really do i appreciate what you guys do and like i said i mean we are you know, we're just here to serve, and we're we're just trying to really live the values of of our of our members. I mean, we serve you know, we serve heroes, we serve firefighters, and you know, one of the things I've learned from them is, you know, they when every situation they come to, they make it better. You know, they they show up at your house at the worst moment of your life, and they'll make your life better. And you know, whether it's something as you know as cliche as a cat in a tree, or you know, pulling somebody out of a burning building. Those are the values of, of the people who sponsor us. And for us, this is our opportunity to try to demonstrate those same values. And that's part of what makes this so powerful is, you know, we in civilian society don't get a lot of opportunities to, to really demonstrate those kind of values and the willingness to, to run into the proverbial burning building. And at SNA, we just felt it was our duty to, to do this. And I think for all of us in the financial service industry, you know, we've been deemed an essential service, not just because we move your money around, but we can be a part of the solution here. And I'm hugely honored to be part of it. And really just want to thank you for, for taking the opportunity for, for listening to my long-winded answers. Thank you so much for being on the show, Tim. I want to thank you for listening. The Q's podcast continues to grow and develop because of people like you, dedicated credit union professionals who make learning and developing part of your everyday habit. Many thanks to Tim for taking time out of his busy day to talk with us. You can read more about Tim and his credit union in our blog post, Into the COVID-19 Fire to Make Things Better for Members and Staff. Access it at cumanagement.com slash 040320 Skybox. You can get more credit union specific content when you visit cumanagement.com, and I encourage you to do so. It's on demand, individual and team professional development at its finest. That's cumanagement.com. You can get updates on Q's events affected by the pandemic at slash coronavirus hyphen update. Also, if you're a Q's member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development, many of which are available virtually. Visit cues.org slash membership to learn more about your benefits. 
If you want to reach out to us about this show, please email us at podcast at cues.org. Thanks again for listening today. Cues is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Cues can help you realize your potential, visit cues.org today.